I'm Sydney. And I'm Julie. And this is Restaurant and Retail Revelations. It's time for another fresh episode of Restaurant and Retail Revelations, a podcast brought to you by Revel Systems, provider of the leading cloud POS platform on the market. Once again, I am joined by the illustrious Kate Ross, a fellow reveler who stepped into the co-host chair as Julie enjoys leave for her growing family. Today, I'm very excited to introduce yet another awesome guest to the podcast. For this episode, we're joined by Michael Keller, president and CEO of Jeremiah's Italian Ice. Jeremiah's has long been a valued Revel client, but Michael is relatively new to the helm for the brand, and I can't wait to hear more from him on what's in store for this wonderfully indulgent franchise. So let's jump right in. Here's Michael. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And to give our listeners a little bit of context, you are CEO of Jeremiah's Italian Ice, which I've seen referred to as the hottest brand in the frozen dessert category. Uh, One of the reasons the brand is heating things up in the space of frozen dessert is the tremendous growth that you have seen recently. And I would love to hear from you on just the growth that franchise that the franchise experienced recently, as well as your projected growth moving forward. Sure. Uh, Thanks, Sydney. Yes, I am CEO, president of Jeremiah's. We're based in Orlando, Florida. Um, Currently have around 130 units, Uh, could add another 15 or so before the end of the year. Uh, Those units are being added anywhere from Florida to Arizona and from Florida up to North Carolina. So we're sort of southeastern seaboard and also southern United States. And we have been seeing some exciting growth recently. Uh, we were just named again in the QSR top five uh, franchise top 500. I believe we moved up about 50 or 60 places. Just some news that came out today, which was very exciting. And that's compared to last year. So the growth does continue. So if all goes well, we will add about another 15 units uh, this year. Um, all growth packed into the October, November timeframe. We have lots of new store openings occurring um, in the next few weeks, as it appears. December tends to be a little bit slower for the whole industry for obvious reasons, weather and holidays and all the rest. Our current plans are to try to aspire to open 40 to 50 units each year for the next three. Could that accelerate? Uh, yes, it could. Could uh, it be more maybe more realistically calibrated around 40 to 45? Yes, it could, but right now we're setting out for about 40 to 50 per year for the next three years. So we would basically about double the size of our system in three years. So by the end of 2026, being somewhere between 250 and 300 retail locations spread across, probably by that time, more than the 11 states we're currently in. Maybe we get up to 12 or 13 at the end of 2026, but they are exciting times for Jeremiah's given all this growth. Great. Sounds like you've got a busy few months ahead of you with lots of store openings. I'm sure one factor in the success for Jeremiah's Italian Ice are some of the leadership changes implemented in line with the brand's 27th anniversary, including your own shift to the helm as CEO. What primed you to take this exciting new role on and share with us a little of the um, initiatives you're excited to lead? Sure. That was a nice compound question. Um, So (laughs) there is a lot of exciting growth going on. I'd like to think some of it has to do with our team, which I'll get back to in just a moment. But um, probably, as you guys know better than most, given you're in the industry, 
the growth comes when franchisees get excited about the business. So we have area representatives. They need to be excited and energized for them to go out and recruit their sub-franchisees. And then franchisee demand that's coming into the organization, which could be either Pivotal Growth Partners or Jeremiah's. Pivotal Growth Partners is our franchise development partner. It really could be demand coming in from either place. And it's that demand that ultimately drives things. That being said, uh, franchisees do tend to get a bit more excited or a little bit more hope oriented or a little bit more future focused when they feel like uh, the brand or the organization is going in a way that will create value for them in the long run. And some of those changes have occurred uh, over this past year. Um, you were right to point out that I am new to the helm. I took the position as of uh, May 1st. Uh, we have a few new members of the management team, a new director of R&D, really the first R&D professional in the organization since its inception. She came over to us from Sonic, which is a pretty um, strong competitor with an interesting menu that has a lot of parallels to ours, so a lot of very relevant experience. Her name is Aaron Buono. And then we also hired a director of supply chain who has uh, nothing but a history in restaurant world. His name is Adam Hing, and he joined us most recently from Ruth's Chris, but also has been with Brinker International and Bloomin' Brands and a variety of others. So those are members, new members of the management team. There are some really strong existing talent that was already there. We just kind of reorganized and reshuffled a little bit to work better as a team. And honestly, that was one of the motivations for me joining. Um, obviously, when you make a choice to join an organization, the quality of the people, the quality of the talent are definitely one. And for me, the people I met at Jeremiah's uh, in Orlando and beyond uh, were very strong uh, team that I wanted to work with. And also getting a chance as a consultant for a little while to meet some of our franchisees in different places around the country and have conversations with them. That was also part of the inspiration for joining. So it was very, uh, it was very grassrootsy. I did have several months to consult to Jeremiah's before I ended up transitioning into the CEO role. So that gave me a chance to meet a lot of people, both out in the field and the support center, which was uh, a key motivator for me joining. And then on the last part of the compound question, there's so much going on at Jeremiah's um, in terms of what we're doing to improve our franchisees business and, and grow the brand over time. Um, there are probably too many things to even recount or share, and some are, of course, confidential. But very broadly speaking, uh, we are trying to improve our franchisees' profitability and in, improve their return on investment. So to do both of those things, we have to be doing a lot of uh, things differently. To improve their return on investment, uh, we need to be working on reducing uh, the store build-out costs to sort of buy into or develop a new Jeremiah's. We've had some real breakthroughs this year and have significant, significantly lowered the cost of building a brand new Jeremiah's, which could make it easier for our franchisees to develop and easier for them to generate a return. Uh, we also have a new site model that uh, PGP is using that's helping us evaluate real estate. And obviously choosing sites really well is critical to helping our franchisees get a fast running start when they come out of the ground and they are operating in their first year and trying to establish a high AUV average unit volume. That real estate is really key. So we're doing a lot of work there. Then more organically, I guess, back on the brand and the business, uh, we're trying to grow franchisee top line. Small company, it's really hard to drive sales in a small company because as you know, there aren't a tremendous amount of marketing resources available when the organization is very small. But we're still putting our mind to that and doing our best to drive same store sales, um, which would be a combination of driving check average and driving guest count. And we're doing a very good job of driving check average here in 2023 behind some new product introductions that have successfully done that for us. Very closely connected with driving same store sales growth is really dialing up innovation. 
Uh, we have a lot of opportunities at Jeremiah's to do really cool, fun things with our current and new treat platforms. And this is the kind of brand that could easily shoulder lots of fun innovation, given we're a frozen treat brand that's pretty unique, already does some cool, fun things. So we are trying to dial up innovation pretty significantly. And that's part of the reason why we hired the talent that came over from Sonic to help us with innovation on that front. Um, we are also very steadfastly trying to improve our operations, which any multi-unit retail franchise organization should be doing. Uh, we have good leadership in that area. We're doing some really good, smart things to help our franchisees better understand their profitability and how to improve their profitability, in particular around controlling cost of goods and cost of labor. So that's been very, I wouldn't call that exciting, but it's really important and it's kind of fundamental to success. We also have what we believe is a really good service model. Uh, that leads to what we call like a five-star guest experience. And we're very focused on that, supporting our franchisees with all the key components of what it takes to be really good in that area. So th that's obviously a series of key initiatives. Uh, and last but not least, having mentioned marketing, R&D and operations is of course supply chain. As you and your listeners probably know all too well, very small, fast growing restaurant chains uh, have a lot of challenges in the supply chain area. Getting it all right, especially given our geography is spread out over 11 states. So we believe we have opportunities to improve the supply chain in a variety of different ways, uh, including opportunities to help our franchisees by reducing costs of some of the things that they are purchasing. And we're working on about a half a dozen different projects uh, led by our new director of supply chain to help lower franchisees cost of goods by doing some of the things you would expect a professionalized supply chain to do. So those are some of the key initiatives that kind of fit into different functional buckets and all roll up, hopefully, to improve franchisee profitability. Yeah, you guys have a lot in the works, some very exciting initiatives. And I would love to dig in a little bit more into your career. There have been a few other brands where I feel like the common thread, to use one word, would be indulgent. So Dairy Queen, Jamba Juice, Baskin Robbins are all brands of note. What is it that draws you to this kind of an experience and this kind of a brand? That's a very fair question. Uh, I get that question relatively frequent amount. Um, and interestingly, even my packaged goods experience before multi-unit retail was in the candy or confection space. I worked for the Nestle Chocolate Company and for Pearson Candy Company here in the Twin Cities, which is kind of like Pearson Candy is to Minnesota like Ben & Jerry's is to Vermont. Just a really I iconic local brand spread out over the region does really well. So I have a lot of candy and ice cream and frozen treats in my experience. Um, so why is that? Well, maybe partly due to a sweet tooth. I have to cop to having a sweet tooth. So I do like uh, sweet products like the ones I've just described. But interestingly, I'm not really a foodie. Um, and even though I've been in the restaurant industry or really the food industry my entire career, I'm not really a foodie. Uh, nobody would accuse me. None of my friends or family members would ever accuse me of being a foodie. So a natural question then would be, well, why are you so drawn then to the food industry? Um, which would be a very fair question. And um, I guess my best answer would be, and really it's not about the food, although I do love sweet foods, especially some of the ones we make, but I think it has a lot to do with the guest experience that's wrapped around um, these food and treats that we've been talking about. And when you talk about Jeremiah's, previously Dairy Queen and Baskin Robbins, neither even Jamba Juice, uh, what I think I'm really drawn to is some of the fun and the joy and the positivity and the community aspects of what these types of brands mean to their uh, franchisees and what they mean to their customers in a trade area around a given store. And I think I'm really attracted to the idea that people really enjoy their experiences with these types of products and these types of brands. 
And in many cases for uh, whether it's an individual or it's a couple or it's a family, whatever it might be, there's a lot of celebration involved. Uh, there's a lot of joy involved. There is something about, let's say in the case of Jeremiah's, our Italian ices, or maybe even more importantly, our gelatis and flavorites that just bring a lot of joy. Some of that joy is just enjoying the indulgence of an amazing product that tastes just incredible. But some of it is the people you're with and why you're there and the music you're listening to while you're there and the type of retail environment, either on the patio or in a dining room, wherever you might be. And I think that I've always enjoyed that idea of a gathering space or a third place, kind of like Starbucks almost coined that idea of the third place. Well, I don't know, there's a lot of celebrating going on in coffee shops, but a lot of talking and a lot of congregating and a lot of working. But I think in places like a Jeremiah's, it's more about gathering to celebrate and gathering to enjoy time with one another. And I think as we probably all would agree uh, in America in late 2023, we could probably use a lot more joy we could probably use a lot more a gathering together and sharing good experiences with family and friends. Um, there's really no downside to that. And we fit pretty well into what we're up to as a culture right now. Yeah, I've got a lot of great memories going to our local ice cream shop after soccer games, you know, after great family celebrations. Why do you believe Jeremiah's Italian Ice is such an attractive brand for franchisees? I know you spoke a bit or actually a decent amount about what you guys are doing for franchisees. So share a little more in your opinion about that. Sure. I'd be glad to. I think part of what is attracting Jeremiah's franchisees to Jeremiah's is a little bit of what I just discussed. So I'll I'll weave that in. You know, obviously for a franchisee, at the end of the day, a concept has to work for them economically. Um, this is where they're investing their hard-earned savings. It could be their family nest egg. They're trying to create intergenerational wealth, whatever it might be. So there's a lot of pressure on a franchisor, and in this case, Jeremiah, is to really make sure we're doing the best we can to deliver that. And if we are doing that well, that should attract franchisees initially and also should attract existing franchisees toward additional investment. So I think that is one key piece. And I think the other three are all closely related. We have an absolutely incredible product. Uh, there's really nothing like our Italian ice out there, and in particular, our gelati. And I think our customers know it, and I think our franchisees know it. And for many of our franchisees, when they come to Orlando uh, for what we call Discovery Day, so they come down to learn more about the brand and meet more of the people and have conversations with all of us, many of them share the common story of having had our product. Either they had it while they were growing up, or they introduced their family to it, or they used to enjoy it when they lived in Florida, but they've moved somewhere else, but they've always remembered it. Now they want to bring Jeremiah's to their to their market, which may not be in Florida. I think there's a very strong attraction that our franchisees have to just a great tasting product. And if you think about it, it makes some sense. If you're going to get into a retail business selling a product on behalf of a franchisor's brand, you probably want to feel pretty passionate about that product. Uh, you want to feel really good about what you're making and what you're delivering to your own guests. And I think our product qualifies that way in many levels. I also think that one of the things that is nice about Jeremiah's and is really appealing for existing franchisees is there's a certain simplicity to what we do. And yes, we make our ice every day in store by hand, batch by batch. Yes, we do that. So there is absolutely labor and love and care involved there. But our menu is relatively simple and our operations are relatively simple. And given we're not, you know, extensively in the food business, you know, we're not doing hot food, we're not dealing with fryers, we're not dealing with grills, we're not dealing with venting, we're not dealing with oils and so many of the things that tend to come with being on the food side of the business. And on the treat side, we're kind of mercifully simple. You know, we have a, an awesome soft serve 
and this incredible ice. We mix the ice and the soft serve together to create gelatis. And then we throw really cool layer-ins into our gelatis to create flavorites. And that's our menu. And many franchisees have told us part of what attracted them to Jeremiah's is uh, the operations. And it's not that it's easy because there's nothing about restaurant operations that's easy. There's no sort of hall pass for just like mailing it in, nothing like that. There's so much involved. But relatively speaking, compared to other concepts out there, um, we are relatively simple. And therefore, it's a bit easier to learn. It's a bit easier to train, a bit easier to execute. And there's a higher likelihood of being successful in that execution. So I think a combination of all those factors is what attracts franchisees to Jeremiah's. There is so much beauty and simplicity. And the adage is jack of all trades, master of none. It is difficult to be exceptional at something if you are splitting your focus in too many different ways. So that makes a lot of sense to me that it isn't that it's um, easy, as you said, but but certainly that there's a really intentional focus. So uh, that's awesome. So my next question, it's a fun concept and just the name that you guys have for it. You recently held the third annual Frog Squad Summit, uh, which is great. And I'm curious to know if there's anything that you'd like to note about the summit in terms of the achievements that your team celebrated at the event. Good question. So yes, we call our annual franchise convention the Frog Squad Summit. And uh, many franchise concepts will have annual conventions. I can't speak for them all. I know that in my past, uh, at least in two of them, uh, we did. And they're very important. Those are very important events to gather franchisees together uh, to not only share with, with, with them what's coming down the pike for the brand they've invested in, but also very importantly, it gives our franchisees a chance to interact with each other, talk to each other, learn with each other, learn from each other, celebrate with each other, whatever it's going to be. So it, it serves a really important function that way. And yes, I believe we are headed toward our third. So uh, I guess first and foremost, I probably need to explain Frog Squad Summit. So Jeremiah's, if it's not obvious, is sort of named, if you will, for a bullfrog, right? Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Our incredible charismatic founder, his name was Jeremy, or his name is Jeremy. Um, and growing up, his family even sort of joked around sometimes, called him Jeremiah. And of course, it doesn't take much to go from Jeremy to Jeremiah to Jeremiah was a bullfrog. And so I think that really stuck with him. Uh, it mattered to him sort of coming from the heart, if you will, growing up. So Jeremiah's has Jeremy at its root, but it also ties back to a little bit of his family culture, which is fun. So we've got this frog technically as our, right, as our mascot, as our brand. And one of the things that I'm hoping to do in my time at Jeremiah's uh, with my teammates, especially my marketing teammates, is to increasingly, you're going to love this, uh, to increasingly frogify the brand. So what do I mean by frogify? So frogifying means dialing up the frog. Um, we have this wonderful uh, logo slash mascot. I would say we use Jeremiah's The Frog um, sparingly and maybe appropriately so. You'll see great renderings of uh, Jeremiah The Frog in all of our stores on the big, beautiful murals that are painted on usually one of the biggest walls in each one of our stores, customized to each city that our franchisees are in. So the frog appears there. Of course, he's in our logo and we use him sparingly in other places. I think we've all come to the conclusion, though, that we can dial up the frog. We have an opportunity to do more with this great animal, with this kind of great mascot that ties very nicely into the brand. And I think our customers and our franchisees can expect more frogification in the years to come. And the reason why I mention that is because the Frog Squad Summit is obviously tied into that idea. Uh, interestingly, at Jeremiah's, our operations and training teams 
are really good at bringing the frog to life in the concept of delivering uh, value to the customer through operations and training, whether it's procedures or it's learning or it's uh, systems, whatever might be in place. One of the things we do to build a frog culture, uh, what we actually call, believe it or not, um, <laughs> frogma, like not dogma, but frogma, um, is we refer to our crew members, not as crew members, but as frog squad members, because each crew in a store is really a frog squad delivering the Jeremiah's Italian ice brand to the customers. And it sounds goofy and fun at the same time. That has really taken hold in our community. It, uh, our franchisees and our company stores, everyone feels very comfortable referring to crew members as members of a frog squad. And when you think about a retail crew or a group of employees, um, there aren't a lot of fun names for them. And sometimes that job, that hourly job can be really difficult with high turnover as the entire industry knows. But being a part of a frog squad is maybe a little different than just being an employee of a restaurant company, right? Or a given restaurant unit. So combine annual franchi franchisee convention or summit with frog squad and you get the frog squad summit where we encourage our franchisees to come maybe bring their store manager as well. Our company-owned store managers are in attendance, as is most members of our support center and vendors. Very typical for a franchise convention. And um, we feel like it is a really good platform to basically share with the system how we're doing, uh, where we've been, where we're going, how we're doing, and also to get them very excited about what is coming. So we typically hold it in February of each year. So it is coming up in February of 2024. Uh, we've called the upcoming Frog Squad Summit the next leap because we are about to take yet another leap as a brand. 2023 has been a great leap. We're about to leap again. And so working off a pretty obvious theme like that, we are hoping to energize our franchisees so that when they're done, they're excited to get back to their stores, get back to their frog squads, and have a great year delivering the brand experience to our guests. I love the way you guys are building morale, and it's obviously paying off. You've got the accolades to show it. Jeremiah's Italian Ice has recently attained the number two ranking on Entrepreneur's top new and emerging franchise list for 2023, recognition as a top brand for multi-unit owners, and a number 85 ranking on Entrepreneur's fastest growing franchise list. This is all in addition to recognition from Franchise Times as a top brand to buy. Perhaps it's an ice cold sugar rush gone right. But what factors would you credit for all of this success? That's a good question. And thank you for summarizing some of the accolades that Jeremiah has received. And really, uh, maybe a good place to start is with a thank you, because thank yous are due to this. We have uh, a pretty remarkable partner that's basically just an extension of our business. Uh, they're called Pivotal Growth Partners, and they are helping us with a lot of our franchise development. And it's, uh, it's their effort um, and their process uh, and their vision that is helping Jeremiah grow this way. That's one key piece. Another piece is our area representatives. Uh, so we have 10 or more area representatives who have joined the system. And um, as you probably are aware of from the business you're in, area representatives tend to buy a geography and then uh, take a number of years to build out that geography by recruiting franchisees under their leadership. So they almost become mini franchisors and it uh, can be very helpful to accelerating development if all things are going well. So I think those are two key parts. We also have uh, a team back in Orlando in the support center that's undergoing an interesting transformation. And I'm sure Revel will appreciate this, not only as given the brand it is, but what you do for Revel and how you help both Revel and Revel's customers continue to grow and evolve. Until three years ago, Jeremiah's was still a company-owned store system. 
And it wasn't until 2019 uh, that we engaged with Pivotal Growth Partners and started working on what would ultimately be our franchise development model. And it wasn't until 2020 when the first franchises started emerging. So I guess technically this is the fourth year, right? 2023. So our support center teammates, who many of whom have been with the brand for a very long time and in large part are responsible for making the brand what it is today, they had to pivot from being a company-owned store system support team to being a franchise system support team. And there's nothing easy or nothing obvious about that. Just because you're good at supporting a company-owned store system doesn't mean you'll be good at supporting a franchise-driven growth system. And so a lot of our teammates in Orlando had to undergo sort of transformations in and of themselves as they started thinking differently about the type of business model we had and the service model we were in. So I think between PGP and our area representatives and our support center teammates all going through pretty decent amount of change, I think that's a lot of what's going on. I think another key part of it, uh, without repeating myself, links back to you know what's actually happening here. Interestingly, there isn't really a lot of exciting new concepts in the frozen treat space in at least the American or North American multi-unit retail landscape right now. There are major, powerful, entrenched frozen treats providers out there. I happen to have worked for a couple of them in my past. But in terms of really fast-growing, arguably viable, new frozen treat concepts, there aren't many. And I think part of what's going on with Jeremiah's is there's not only uniqueness to our product and uniqueness to our brand, but also we are relatively unique in terms of the emerging concepts. If you look at even the top emerging concepts, we recently just made a list of top 17. It wasn't the one of the things you just mentioned, Kate, it was something else. But if you scan through the list of all of those top emerging concepts, we were one of only two that were frozen treats. Almost everything else was in some form of snack or some form of food. And there are people out there who don't necessarily want to be in the food business or be in the food day parts or deal with the things that come with being in the food business and the food day parts and are attracted to the treat experience and what that means for day parts and what that means for party size and what that means for usage occasions. And I think just like I described what I did, how it affects consumer behavior, I also think it affects the way franchisees look at the world too. And there are people who love that experience. And so when they buy into a Jeremiah's, they buy into the opportunity to deliver that experience to their guests. And I think when you combine these things, you get a concept that is moving quite nicely and hopefully will continue to for a long time. Yeah. So we've talked about the uniqueness and the offering that you have in your product. We've talked about the third place and, and kind of that gathering point and connection point, the people in the hospitality business. But of course, Kate and I are revelers. We've got to ask you a little bit about the role of technology in the frozen dessert space and just what tech factors you're watching most closely. Yeah, thank you for that question. That Yes, both because you're revelers, but also because it's important. You know, it's a smart thing to put your finger on. And my sense would be that um, any restaurant companies right now that aren't paying very close attention to technology, arguably making investments in that technology, aren't putting some future plans together that would orient themselves around technology, probably going to fall behind, possibly quickly. So um, I think there's a few things going on. And uh, I, I, I will be honest, caveat here, I've been back in the restaurant space now really for all of five months, even though I've spent almost 20 years in, that, in the industry as part of my career previously. So I'm just kind of coming back up to speed in some areas and in particular learning about some of the things that we're about to discuss here. But it is fundamentally important. And in many ways, it does start with a great POS system, right? And that's part of the reason why we're talking, because 
Jeremiah is, is obviously a customer of Revel. We have Revel in our stores. There's so much that is, I guess, fundamental to what that system needs to do, right? It needs to make things as easy as possible for our crew members on one side of the register. It needs to make things as easy as possible for our guests ordering from the other side of the register. It has to contribute as much as possible to speed of service. While we love it when our Frog Squad members interact with our guests, which is really part of the experience, we also want that to be a relatively quick experience, as it should be. Uh, we want to get our guests on to relaxing in our dining room or in our patio or get them through our drive through as quickly as possible. So any POS system has to be relatively well set up to enable that. And I think we're making some progress. I think we can always do better and we're reflecting ourselves on how we can improve and elevate in that area. And I also think, again, closely related to Revel before I maybe move out from Revel, it's also about the data and the data in the system and using the data that the system generates to not only understand your business and the economics of your business, but to understand customer behavior. Because any organization that's going to grow well or grow up nicely over time really needs to be firmly grounded in its own facts, in its own data, in its own understanding of cost, in its own understanding of product mix and understand the connection between that and consumer behavior. And I would say we're probably a little greener on that front. That was not intended to be a frog joke, by the way. That word just came out of me. We are a little greener on that front. I think we have a little ways to go to leverage our own understanding of the data coming out of the Revel system and work even with Revel as a partner to better mine that data so that we can become more effective at driving our business and driving profitability for our franchisees. And I think that's coming. There's a lot of good stuff in the works. But Revel is just the beginning because then there's lots of things that can get attached to or interact with Revel where things become very important. And I would say first and foremost uh, would be a reward or loyalty program. Uh, we have a pretty remarkable one, I must say. Um, and and I, don't, I don't need to be humble here because I think the numbers speak to themselves without me necessarily giving away numbers. We have been told over and over again, especially by our vendor partner, Punch, that our rewards program is very large or outsized for a brand of our size. In other words, we seem to have a very, very extensive loyalty following for a brand of our size on a per store basis or sort of uh, for our system overall. And um, that probably speaks to the passion that our customers have for this brand and also for the treat. And they have no problem signing up for the rewards program and kind of engaging that way. And we tend to do better than most restaurant companies in terms of membership slash participation and in absolute numbers on a per store basis. So that's pretty cool. Um, but that's only the start, right? There's it now really depends on what you do with those loyalty members in what we call our J list, Jeremiah's list, our rewards program. So it's all about how you market to them. It's all about uh, how you treat them, how you communicate with them, how often you communicate with them, what we're sharing with them, the offers that we share with them, the way they can accumulate points and rewards, how they can redeem those later. These things are fundamental, I believe, to restaurant company in the 2020s and certainly beyond. And we are about to make an investment in this area as well. Again, I won't get into any numbers, but we're sort of doubling down on our relationship with Punch and on the J-List. And we're about to make a pretty substantial 18-month investment to significantly elevate there. We came out of the ground with Punch about six years ago. And again, have done very well, but you know, no surprise, six years ago's technology is a lot different than technology here in 2023, let alone 24. And we want our J-List built on the Punch platform to be as technology forward as possible. 
So in order for us to do that, we have to make an investment to get on the most current platform and to provide for our J-List guests uh, the best possible experience and have that experience, of course, delivered through our app slash website and, and a variety of other different ways. And we're pretty excited about that. So we're off and running. And as you know, Punch and Revel are integrated, right? Couldn't work very well if they weren't. So our rewards program has to be very well integrated with our point of sale system. And uh, we believe ours is. Could it be better? Sure, it always can be. We need to work with Revel. We need to work with Punch to figure out how to make that better. So I think that's one key piece. The other thing that's very important is third-party app support, third-party app development. So we all know how important DoorDash and Uber Eats is these days. And their engagement with a brand also relies heavily on technology. It's their technology that they're bringing, but it's also the technology that we have in store. Um, we have Olo in our stores, and Olo is a way for our third parties to tie in and for us to not only be receiving orders from our own customers for online online ordering for pickup and possibly even delivery, but also it's a way to integrate that very same demand coming in from, let's say, a DoorDash or an Uber Eats. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take much reading to figure out that our whole industry is moving pretty rapidly toward really addressing what seem to be Gen Ys and Gen Zs online ordering needs and whether those online ordering needs translate to them ordering online and going to pick up or their online ordering converts into delivery it is certainly a way that Gen Y and Gen Z, most likely Gen Alpha too, uh, interact with brands in a way that's very different from, let's say, Gen Xers or Boomers. And even though many of us who might be managing the brand or owning franchisees might be Boomers or Gen Xers, that doesn't mean we need to uh, stay in technology we're comfortable with. We need to we need to move to where the customer is going to be. They're moving increasingly digitally. We've read some pretty staggering numbers from some of the largest multi-unit retail food service players in the United States. Anywhere between 30 and 40% of their sales are being generated digitally, which is going to be a combination of, let's say, reward members ordering off of an app or something like that, as well as third-party ordering and delivery, and a few other things as well. And we'd be no exception. So the good news for us is we're small and we're young. So if we can identify ways that we want to participate in these two trends that would make sense for us and do that early and do that often, then we can grow up as a relatively technology forward brand that seems like it's moving with and makes sense for the times. And so I think those are some very key areas. We might be exploring a little bit of kiosk stuff on the slide side, or we're starting to talk a little bit about AI. A lot of that is kind of like fluffy and ethereal, a little pie in the sky. But there's nothing pie in the sky about having a strong tech platform for your rewards program and a strong tech platform to integrate online uh, orders for pickup or delivery. So we are exploring all those pretty robustly. Nice. So speaking of planning for the future, are there any headwinds that you're keeping a close eye on as we approach that final quarter of the calendar year? Ah, uh, yes. Good old headwinds, right? <laughs> um, always headwinds. If it's not one thing, it's another. So a very fair question that uh, headwinds tend to shift. And maybe depending upon you when you ask that question, the headwinds could be a little bit different. But as we head toward, let's say, the close of 2023 and are looking toward 2024, some of the things we talk about are uh, not unlike probably many restaurant industry executives at a lot of other brands. Uh, we talk a lot about the economy and we have an unusual economy right now. Um, some parts of our economy are thriving. Other parts of our economy are not. So we have to be really smart about who we believe our guests to be and where they fit into um, how they're doing 
with regard to the economy and how they're doing in terms of how they're feeling about discretionary spending. One of the things we do like and we think is very important is, yes, we are a discretionary purchase, right? We're a treat, we're a frozen dessert, might be the type of thing you add in for an after school visit, after a tough day at school, after a tough day at work, as a dessert to add on to your lunch or to your dinner, whether it's weekday or weekend, those tend to be all the occasions where we're quite strong. So it makes us a bit discretionary. But you know, Sydney used a word earlier, which is very important. Yes, we're discretionary, but also quite indulgent. And sometimes people just want to take care of themselves. And sometimes people just want to take care of uh, friends and family. And a small indulgence can often be the shortest path uh, to taking care of yourself. If you can't afford an expensive indulgence, let's say a vacation, right, something like that, then maybe a small indulgence as part of a staycation, it might be part of the answer. So we watch the economy carefully because the way it's impacting consumer spending and discretionary spending could absolutely impact us. At the same time, I won't call us recession resistant because a recession hits the restaurant industry pretty hard in general. But if things get a little tight, that little reservation that somebody might make for uh, a small indulgence for themselves or for a kid or a significant other, I think that probably plays a role. So we will clearly pay attention there. Obviously, there are always major trends going on in our industry you have to pay attention to. Uh, we just talked about one, which is the technology trend. So it's something else to pay super close attention to because technology will have a dramatic impact on our industry. How it affects a Jeremiah specifically will be very interesting. Um, where our stores are located, how big our stores are, the tech, the tech stack that's in our stores to sort of line up with or align with current technology. All those things have to be factored in in order for us to be smart and be thinking 12, 18, 24 months down the road. Also, uh, one of the great things about the restaurant industry, it's never ending new products, right? Never ending new flavors, just never ending innovation. And I mentioned earlier that we need to step it up innovation wise, and we will, but we have to watch important food trends and flavor trends, try to spot them years in advance uh, so that we can be testing them so that by the time we've maybe tested them successfully and rolled them out, they are still important flavor or product trends. And so there's many we're watching, obviously have to watch the way uh, Americans, because we're at least in America right now, uh, the way Americans eat, uh, the way Americans sort of choose their indulgences and understand what's happening, not just in the restaurant industry, but in packaged goods, right? Because packaged goods is another place where consumers spend a lot of money eating food or eating treats. So we have to watch all of that. It doesn't feel like headwinds yet. Um, it's not necessarily in the form of headwinds, but it's also picking paths of least resistance finding ways uh, in the future for us to do what we need to do so that we can move as fluidly as possible. seems like you have to be paying attention to those things. Supply chain. Ever since COVID, nothing has been the same in supply chain. And um, I don't think our industry is recovered. I don't think the food industry is recovered. I don't even know if the United States, broadly speaking, has fully recovered as it relates to an effective and efficient and an unbroken supply chain. So tough headwinds ahead are probably supply chain related as the globe and our country continue to figure out how to move food around the planet and move food around our country. It's still not easy. I don't think there's any quick fixes and it's not going to get easier anytime soon. So that's going to impact time to get products to our stores. It's going to impact cost, the cost of getting products to our stores. It's going to impact service. You know, the, the rate at which, let's say, our franchisees orders are being filled through the supply chain. I think it's just really hard and it isn't going to get any easier anytime soon. And then last thing in terms of headwinds, probably tied a little bit to the economy is labor. The labor market is shifting, what they are expecting to be paid, who is actually available. 
what their training and background looks like, what it takes to bring them up to speed, in our case, to be a Frog Squad member, um, seems to be ever-changing and right now only getting more difficult. I just don't know if you'll find a restaurant company out there that will tell you that they are loving uh, the employment environment right now. Uh, they probably won't tell you they're loving the supply chain environment either. So we all share that in common. And so these are some of the headwinds that we're sailing into. And it doesn't make it easy, but it also doesn't mean we can stop, right? And we have to figure out how to innovate around those headwinds so we can keep growing. Certainly. Well, you know, headwinds are important considerations, but definitely for the purposes of this podcast episode, we want to close on an uplifting note. So okay. um, Kate and I were actually prepping for this conversation and we discovered that you are oh. a published author of a children's book, The Legend of Jet the Gerbil. So I have to know what inspired you to write this book and were there any learnings from that process with surprising relevance to your leadership role at Jeremiah's, maybe gerbil to frog? I don't know. <laughs> gerbil to frog. I have not yet made the gerbil to frog leap. That's a good point. Um, well, thanks for doing your research. Uh, didn't expect that. Um, I know you said there'd be no gotcha questions. That really wasn't a gotcha as much as, wow, I didn't expect to talk about Jet the Gerbil today. So, But I will indulge since you answered, and it is a fun topic. So yes, The Legend of Jet the Gerbil with a subtitle, Could Be the Greatest Gerbil Story Ever Told, uh, is a book that I published in 2021. So it's coming up on about two and a half years old. It wasn't a COVID project. I actually started before COVID. It just happens to have flowed through COVID and uh, came out after COVID technically was over in 2021. What inspired it? So The Legend of Jet the Gerbil is a 100% true story. Every word, every image, every action, every sequence in the book, and I'm not going to give away the punchline because it's outrageous and nobody believes it's true, but it is 100% true, is all based on an uh, experience I had as a young kid, about 10 years old, uh, with my then gerbil Jet and uh, my father who helped me care for Jet. So the action in the book, uh, which chronicles Jet's adventures, including his ultimate adventure, um, which was quite crazy, all really happened. And my family and I have been telling the story orally for about 40 years. So it would come up at family reunions. It would come up at big gatherings. I even told the story of the, without it being called yet, the legend of Jet the Gerbil at my father's retirement uh, when he was moving on from the world of cardiology and all the doctors and nurses and hospital administrators were gathered together. And as his oldest son, I had to give the speech and I didn't know what the heck to say. I didn't know any of them. I really didn't know what he did every day, technically, other than practice cardiology. Um, so I thought I would tell them the story of Jet the Gerbil and the role he played in saving my gerbil's life. And it brought down the house, as this story does, uh, which you'll have to, I guess you're going to have to go buy a book and read it to find out. And um, because it was so successful as an oral story, I decided to uh, commit it to print. And I wanted to do that while my father was still alive, which he is. Uh, because I dedicated the book to him. And so I wanted to get it out into the market with a dedication to him so it could be out there for him to enjoy it. So it is a, it's been a fun journey. And there's no doubt that I learned a few key things that absolutely apply to life, let alone to what I've been doing at Jeremiah's. The first thing, which has nothing to do with Jeremiah's, which is a very key thing to learn, probably one of the fastest ways to lose money is to write a book without a doubt. Nobody's ever going to accuse anyone except maybe, um, who is it, J.K. Rowling, right? She wrote Harry Potter and maybe a few others. Nobody's going to accuse you of getting rich writing a book, especially if you're a self-published author, which I was. It's a miracle if you can even sell a book. So, um, And I've sold a bunch. So that's a key learning there. 
But more importantly, as it relates to Jeremiah's, there actually are a few things. So it's a clever question that you asked because it's definitely been on my mind. One thing is sometimes you just got to go for it, right? I could have sat there and ruminated all day long, years long. I, I arguably already had. And then at a certain point, I just decided rather than one day I'll do something, why don't I just make today day one? And there was literally a moment when I went from one day I will write a book to today is day one of writing the book where I started writing on some sticky notes and sticking them up on a poster pad to start imagining these sequences in the book. And once I started, I never stopped. And I think it's the same in our business too. Sometimes you just have to go for it and just say, instead of, instead of constantly talking about what could be, start actually working on what could be. And at Jeremiah's, I'd like to believe that some of what I've brought to the organization and the team, because there's some really important things that we have been talking about, but why not get started on working some of those things now so that uh, one day we can actually bring those to life. So I think that is important. And I, without a doubt, uh, creativity is an important factor. Um, one of the reasons I wrote the book was an opportunity to exercise my right brain. As a former chief marketing officer, I really enjoyed my time working with advertising agencies and the phenomenally gifted creative people there. And I was missing that. And a chance to work on a children's illustrated book would bring me into contact with all kinds of cool, interesting people, especially an illustrator, uh, so I could have some fun with that. And I think at Jeremiah's, we have a very strong brand, as small as we are, and some really quality brand-related work that's already be, been done from logo to, to color palette to sort of um, brand attitude. We have some wonderful values that underpin our brand as well. And I mentioned way earlier on that we have this opportunity to frogify. And it's very funny, but it's also very serious. We have this great frog brand. Why not leverage that further? And maybe my experience leveraging Jet the gerbil to bring him to life in the book maybe has something to do with my desire to see Jeremiah's increased amount of emphasis we place on our famous frog. So I think there's a nice little fun parallel there as well. I love that connection with frogifying and um, your experience with writing a book. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I have a feeling Sydney and I are going to be launching a, a book club shortly, reading The Legend of Jet the Gerbil. So we'll keep you guys posted. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. All kidding aside, as we wrap this conversation up, uh, is there anything else that you would love to share with our listeners that we haven't covered already? I don't want to repeat myself because I've covered a lot of content. One way I will repeat myself is thanking you and Revel for the opportunity for me and Jeremiah to share some of our story. So thank you for that. And I also think, depending upon who's listening, you know, what's very important as we sort of sort out what we're doing at Jeremiah's is you really have to be of two minds. And it's never easy to be of two minds. Usually one mind is a lot better, but it's hard not to be when you're doing what we're doing. And one mind, of course, has to be about this brand and growing this brand, defining the brand, positioning the brand, making the brand as compelling as possible from a let's say a menu offering standpoint, from a price standpoint, from a guest repeat experience standpoint, all of these things I would wrap into brand, the complete guest experience and all the mark good marketing stuff we wrap around it. But the other mind, especially for us, has to be the mindset of helping our franchisees succeed. And yes, we have 20 company owned stores, it's 19 going on 20 um, that are very successful, but that's, and that's not the point. We need to continue to support them and the roughly 400 employees we have tied to those company stores. But we also have a significant number of franchisees that's growing very rapidly. That's the growth side of our business. They all have 15 or 20 employees in their stores. They are families themselves who have made investments in the brand. 
And we have a responsibility to them to do everything we can uh, to help them grow their business so that they're as profitable as they can be and so they get the best return they can get. And any given day when a person at Jeremiah's or I would assume a lot of people in other franchise organizations wake up, you have to be thinking about the complete brand experience and how you can do better. And you have to be thinking about your franchisees and how you can do better by them. And um, sometimes they mesh together quite nicely. Other times they don't fit together as easily and you have to do some extra hard work to sort all that out. So I would probably say that is a, just a mindset to be aware of uh, for those who are listening and to give you insight into what I'm thinking about and my team is thinking about every day. Well, Michael, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, especially in light of the many initiatives at play at Jeremiah's. And I just, I think I speak on behalf of the entire Revel team when I say I'm really looking forward to our continued partnership and the success of the brand. It sounds like you've got quite a roadmap ahead of you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Kate. This episode goes to show you never know how certain experiences will impact different areas of your life. I love that we were able to chat with Michael about how his work on The Legend of Jet the Gerbil has applicable lessons for his role at Jeremiah's Italian Ice. There are certainly some cool things afoot for this growing frozen treat brand. And to any listeners with a sweet tooth of your own, a passion for entrepreneurship, or a fondness for a small mammal's outsized adventures, thank you so much for listening. I hope you found some inspiration in this episode. And if you want to make sure you never miss new content, like and subscribe to Restaurant and Retail Revelations on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with even more revelations. Mm -hmm.